What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewery. You're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Whoa. We're going to talk about it, and today we're going to talk about the whole armor of God. Um, I enjoyed putting this one together. It's it's nice as a topic that I love. As Christians, we are soldiers. We are commissioned soldiers. We go out on the battlefield. We have armor. We have a weapon. We have defensive strategy. We have ways to uh, replace the members in our ranks, the soldiers in our ranks. There's all kinds of ways that you can take this metaphor of comparing Christians to soldiers. You have the kingdom. The church is the kingdom. It's organized with a hierarchy. There's a king. Um, there's laws. There's borders to the kingdom. We have to defend the borders. I mean, it's just multifaceted layers that you can go layer upon layer. You can go with this metaphor. And the 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 Holy Spirit, through the pen of the writers, uh, take advantage of that. And I think it's an apt metaphor. Uh, good morning, Angie B. from Texas, listening at work. Uh, awesome. Well, listen, we're gonna we're gonna hear a word from our sponsor right as we get in. Then we're gonna dive into the podcast. I have an article written that I kind of outlines all of the different implements or the pieces of the armor of God. So we're not gonna read it verbatim, but we are gonna use it as a guide. Um, let me though uh, turn your attention to the bottom left of the screen in the lower third. Uh, contact Lindsay at lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your reson make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. And for those of you who want to uh, support the show uh, through a tip jar, nearchurches at gmail.com is our tip jar. You can send a PayPal. You can do stars on Facebook. If we keep growing on YouTube, you'll be able to do a super thanks or a super chat or whatever that is. And, um, you can also look in the show notes at buy me a coffee and Patreon, and you'll be able to support us that way. We would love your support, but what we would really love for you to do is be a $5 a month subscriber on Substack, be a $5 a month subscriber on Substack. And, and we would love for you to, to do that. And you get access to, um, all kinds of stuff, um, we're going to be adding more uh, supporter-exclusive things in the future. It just takes a while to build that. Now, let, let's get started with the podcast, Understanding the Full Armor of God. Good to see you, Terry Crooks. Incidentally, for those of you, always have, we always have more people watching on YouTube than we do on Facebook. Remember, if you go to YouTube and you hit that arrow button and you can share 
the live stream from YouTube to your Facebook feed, YouTube notices that. Like, hey, people are, not only are they watching passively, but they are actively engaging. And that will make YouTube, uh, it, it will give us um, clout, as, for lack of a better word. It'll give us clout in the algorithm. And YouTube will say, hey, if the people that are currently watching this are interactive with it and are sharing it, and, and, and this content is bringing people to the platform, then we're going to put this content in front of people that they don't share to, but who share similar interest as them because they may like it as well. And it's really cheap, cheap, cheap grassroots advertising. And all you got to do is share the content, hit the like button, comment, all that good stuff. All right. Understanding the full armor of God in the life of a believer. Few metaphors carry as much weight and practical advice as the Apostle Paul's description of the full armor of God in Ephesians. This vivid imagery not only serves as a guideline for spiritual readiness, but also as a strategic plan for Christian living in a world rife with conflict, both visible and invisible. So today, let us embark on this examination of each piece of its divine armor and exploring the significance in the application. So let's talk about the belt of truth. Uh, Romans, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And I want to go to Ephesians chapter 6 here. And first off, let's, let's, let's give the reason why we need the armor. We need the armor because we have a battle, folks. All right. Let's see. Finally, brethren, this is verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This, this phrase, the wiles of the devil, that means the devil is active. Now, the devil is not active today the way he was active in the first century, but he is still active. Uh, the devil is bound. He's bound on that chain. And just like a pit bulldog on a chain, it's kind of frothy at the mouth and a little bit mean. He cannot harm you unless you get within the boundary of his chain. And then, buddy, you better believe he's just as dangerous to you as if he were off the chain because you went into his area. There's a lesson there for us today. Stay out of the, stay out of the devil's territory. Anyway, so... The idea, though, is the devil does work today, and the devil uh, works through our own desires, all right? The devil says, give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. God says, temperance is one of the Christian virtues that we need to perfect. We don't need to give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Paul, at the end of Romans chapter 13 says, make no provision to the, for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. All right. So, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put ye on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, what the devil's currently working on. Because, the King James 4, that's a preposition of explanation, 4, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand or withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And then chapter 6, verse 14, is where it starts talking about the individual pieces of the armor. Folks, each one of these individual pieces of armor, collectively, whenever we take them together, their job is to help us to live through this life in such a way as we can be found faithful in the end. Um, Cool, Sue Ross, good to see you. Missy Malone, hello. And Diana Harden, good to see you. So we know why, because we have to stand against the wiles of the devil. We have to be equipped, all right? Now, let's go into it, the belt of truth. So therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. So this belt in a Roman soldier's attire was not merely for aesthetic purposes. It held much of the armor together. It held much of the armor together. And it secured the garments of the Roman soldiers' attire in such a way as they could all work together. It's the thing, it was the cohesive piece that bound the ensemble together so it could it could function to its fullest potential. In other words, you wouldn't want your breastplate rattling around. You wouldn't want your tunic doing crazy things in battle. I mean, you everything, every, the, the, the girdle of truth is what puts you together as far as the Roman soldier attire. Without the truth, we have nothing. Truth serves a similar purchase, uh, purpose for the believers. It's the foundational principle that undergirds the life of a Christian, and it holds all things together. To gird oneself in truth is to embrace honesty, integrity, creating a life that is consistent with a, and stable and free from the entanglement of deceit, both deceit of others and deceit of oneself. I go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, where God has that exchange with Abel. Excuse me, with Cain. I'm sorry. With Cain. Cain killed Abel. So Cain, Cain is asked, why, why is your countenance fallen? Why are you wroth? If thou doest well, will it not be accepted of thee? And if thou doest not well, then sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be its desire. Folks, let me tell you something. If you, if you want to make sure you have a very, very, very difficult life, live in a way that denies reality, that denies truth. If you don't believe me, look at the, I'm, I don't, I don't use the buzzword, Look at the rate at which a certain demographic of people unalive themselves because they are denying basic reality of genetics and biology. Folks, you cannot build a life based on a lie and expect to have any kind of contentment and peace. You have to gird yourself about with the belt or the girdle of truth. Now, let's talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Hello, David. Good to see you from India. Glad you're here. So the breastplate of righteousness. So verse 14 again, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate, folks, it protects the soldier's vital organs, especially the heart. 
You know, without the heart, it's hard to get the blood to where it's supposed to be. The heart is the epicenter of the, of the, of the circulatory system. And you could take a really good, hard punch to the heart and you could actually reset somebody's system to the point where they, they pass out. In fact, it's, it, it, well, I'm not going to talk outside of my area of expertise. All right. Righteousness imparted to us by faith and manifest through upright living guards the heart against the assaults of the enemy. When worn, the breastplate of righteousness protects against the darts of guilt, shame, and accusation. A life of righteousness produces a boldness in the believer. As Proverbs 28 verse 1 states, the, the, the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Let me explain to you from an old Clint Eastwood movie how being right or righteous is a breastplate. It's a protection. It's a, it's well, not a shield in the metaphor, but it's a protection. It's a defense. There was this Clint Eastwood movie and his friend, I think his friend just got out of prison because he, 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 uh, he killed a man. It wasn't, it wasn't premeditated. It was kind of in a fit of rage. So it, it was a second degree murder or some such. And Clint Eastwood asked him, well, why'd you do it? He said, well, because I can't remember. He said, he said, my mama was a woman of ill repute. And I remember Clint Eastwood just looks at him and says, well, is she? He said, well, no. He said, well, then what's it matter what he said? And if she was a woman of ill repute, then he's telling the truth. And how can you get mad at him? Folks, that, that's, how the, that's, how, that's how being right protects you. When you're right and you have these people chirping from the sidelines, you're walking down this gauntlet of people trying to do you harm, and you just don't care. This is one of the, the, the biggest things that people who are, are wicked, people who are hypocritical, people who are not living out truth, who are delusional, from the sidelines, they lob all of these, well, you're, um, oh, Scott Beck, C. Damer Hamlin football injury where his heart stopped. I'll have to look that up. Scott, let me tell you what I was going to say, and I backed off of it, but I'm going to say it, and if I'm just wrong, I, I, I've been saying this a lot. I'm just going to say this, and if I'm wrong, I'll eat some crow. I think, you know how in the movies, whenever, um, especially in the old westerns or something like that, uh, they'll take the, the, the butt of their, of their revolver and they'll whack it over the, over somebody's head and they'll just drop like a ton of bricks. Here's the thing. I think if you hit somebody hard enough in the back of the head, the cerebellum where the, where the brain stem connects to the brain, where the spinal cord connects to the brain. I think if you hit somebody in the back of the head hard enough to knock them out, you've probably done some permanent brain damage and you may, you may have killed them. I think it might be easier to reset somebody's system where you knock them out, punching them in the, in the chest really hard. I could be wrong, but anyway, that's just, maybe it's something to explore. Not that I want to learn effective ways to do people harm. I'm just postulating here, 
But anyway, I could be absolutely wrong. But I'm going to tell you, uh, you want to protect your old heart. And if you take a thump to the heart, it just does something to you. All right. Now, let's talk the, the, the finish up this thought about the righteousness and the breastplate of righteousness. You have these people, and, and I, I think about these people who, um, who, who hyper-scrutinize other folks. Like, for instance, every, every year around Polishing the Pulpit, a bunch of folks come out of the woodwork talking very, very bad about Polishing the Pulpit. Now, I want to make a distinction. I have criticized. No, that's criticized, not the right word. I have scrutinized and then been critical of, which may be the technical definition of criticize, but I just don't want I don't I don't I don't want negative connotation to be associated with what I'm saying. I think polishing the pulpit is is an altogether good. I think it can become a net negative. I think there are some negative aspects to it, but what do you do? You know? The the negative aspects to it doesn't have anything to do with polishing the pulpit itself. The negative aspects of polishing the pulpit have everything, nothing to do with polishing the pulpit itself and everything to do with the way a certain subset of people kind of treat or, or think about polishing the pulpit. So, but every year people come out of the woodwork and talk about how terrible polishing the pulpit is, how evil some of the people that speak at polishing the pulpit are, and they're just chirping. They're just throwing rocks and stones from what well, they're kind of like Mephibosheth. They're just throwing stones because they're, they're, they're jaded and they're mad or something. I don't know what. And if you're right, which I believe polishing the pulpit is, and the speakers who speak at polishing the pulpit by and large, I don't think they're nefarious. I mean, you can't have something that big and not get a few duds, but I don't think they're nefarious. That's what the breastplate of righteousness gets you. You just keep on doing what you're doing. Polishing the pulpit grows by a certain percentage every year. I don't know when it's going to hit critical mass. It may have already hit critical mass. In other words, polishing the pulpit may be so big, it can't grow anymore and still be exactly what it is now. And that is in spite of all those haters throwing fiery darts and trying to attack polishing the pulpit. It's just right. It's a righteous thing. Again, I've been critical of it, but I believe in a fair way because I think we should, we, we should, we should criticize stuff, scrutinize probably the better word. But anyway, the point is, the point is if it's right and if you're right, you just keep walking and it doesn't matter. All of the, all of your internal organs, all of the vulnerable parts of you are covered by armor. All right. Verse 15 of Ephesians chapter six, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, so far we have the belt or girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Now we got to put our shoes on our sandals, our Roman sandals. And I was preaching this in a sermon one time and I got tongue tied and I said, Roman candles, we needed Roman candles on our feet. No Roman sandals. So a soldier's footwear was designed for stability and speed, allowing for movement across various terrains. 
The gospel of peace emphasizes readiness to advance the cause of Christ, regardless of the challenges. Believers are called to be servants of reconciliation, folks, equipped with the message that has the power to transform lives and heal enmities. To have one's feet shod with this gospel is to be ever prepared to move, to share, to stand firm in the face of opposition. But Scott Beck says, I could see a good use for Roman candles too. I'm with you, Scott. And Missy Malone says, I think there were 5,300 in attendance this year. The first year I went was in 2013. And we went for three or four, maybe five years in a row. And I think I think the first year we attended Missy, there was they they were really really excited about three thousand folks. They were really excited about three thousand folks. And again, I I don't please if if you leave this live stream and you go clip this or or go tell Alan Webster or anybody else that I'm talking bad about polishing the pulpit, folks, I'm going to tell you, hell's going to be real hot for you because it's a sin to bear false witness against your brother. And God, one of the one of the things God hates, one of the things that's an abomination is hands or is, is feet that run to mischief. All right. I'm a, I'm a fan in total of polishing the pulpit. Okay. All right. I'm just using that as an example because Every year, people come out to, 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 to try to harm polishing the pulpit, and it just doesn't work because they're, they're making sure they're doing what's right. Incidentally, if you're making sure you're doing what's right, every, every machination that is brought against you, every, every thought and intent and machination, it's going to come to nothing. And it's because you're protected by the breastplate. Hello, Sheila Coles. Good to see you. So, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let me tell you, well, you, I don't know if you can see it or not. I don't think you can. Uh, there's a history book on my shelf from called about Josephus. It's actually a compendium of Josephus's writings. And in Josephus's writings, he describes in detail the armor that a Roman soldier wears. Folks, this would have been the same armor that Paul would have had in mind whenever the Holy Spirit inspired him to write about the whole armor of God. And the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, whenever, um, whenever the Roman centurions would walk on the, on the cobblestone streets uh, of, of Rome in the cities, um, have you ever heard children wearing cleats or have you ever worn golf shoes that have cleats on a hard surface like concrete or anything like that? Do you know the sound that it makes? Could you imagine 15 or 20 or even 100 Roman soldiers uh, doing double time with uh, coming down on the cobblestones with those cleats and the sound that that would make? The, that sound would go before them. So the very reputation of the gospel of peace goes before the believer because we, for 2,000 years, 
the world has been influenced by the gospel of peace. Oh, wow. 5,472, she says. She corrects herself. That's a, that's a big, yeah, 5,400. That's a whole lot of good, there's a whole lot of good intention people to go to hell because, you know, of reasons. Sorry, I'm being very sarcastic there. But there are people that actually think that polishing the pulpit is a sin and that if you attend it or if you support it, then you're in sin as well. And I'm like, I, I just, I can't, I can't Bible that many people going to hell over that. I mean, here's the thing. If it was wrong, then it's wrong and I would stand against it. But anyway, I need to back off that. It blows my mind. Some of the things that our brethren decide to fight about. All right. So. One of the things that these sandals, these Roman sandals, they were hobnailed. They had these nails driven into the bottoms of them so they could have grippers, the cleats. Now, think about the footwear of the day you wore these leather sandals. Yeah, Sue Ross, I can't see where teaching and learning the truth would be wrong. Yeah, well, they, they, they got a lot. I don't want to make the podcast about this. But the detractors for polishing the pulpit, they have a whole lot of verses that they have, quite frankly, either over-applied or um, misapplied. For instance, uh, and Sheila, I'll, I'll answer that question because it ties right in with Sue Ross. They think that charging money for people to attend polishing the pulpit is sinful. So there's two factions. There's people that think that charging money to attend polishing the pulpit is sinful, and they think that by the by the transitive property, because some people there are false teachers, then everybody there is guilty of their evil deeds, and you're guilty by association. Like, for instance, did you know that B.J. Clark is a false teacher, or B.J. Clark is... Maybe B.J. Clark's not a false teacher, but because he didn't, at some lectureship somewhere, uh, publicly call out a false teacher that was on the same lectureship, then B.J. Clark is a false teacher. And because I've shared the same pulpit without calling B.J. Clark out as a false teacher, then I'm sinful too. Therefore, if I go to polishing the pulpit, uh, let's say that I speak at polishing the pulpit, then if you speak at polishing the pulpit, you may not even like me. You may not even agree with my positions, but you're in sin because I'm there. And I'm not in sin because of what I've done. I'm in sin because of my fellowship with B.J. Clark. So you're not in, let's say you've never even met B.J. Clark, but because you and I speak at polishing the pulpit, everybody that speaks at polishing the pulpit is in sin because one person is in fellowship with a person that's not in fellowship with God, according to them. And you, you, it makes your head hurt, but it's, it's kind of like it's, it's, it's damnation by the damnation because of the uh, transitive property. The, you know, if you're damned and I shake your hand or if I treat you well, like, like if I treat you like I love you, and I don't specifically call out your sin that caused you to be damned, 
then I'm damned because of the tra- your damnation transfers to me. Wow, what a convoluted way to condemn. Yes, absolutely. You're correct. Um, the same accusers drooled over an interview with Rubel Shelley and hold the double standard. Oh, yeah, John, you got that right. Um, and again, I, I don't want to get into all that, but uh, you did ask about what do the people find sinful about polishing the pulpit. Missy Malone said, I would love to hear you preach at PTP. Well, I, I did one year, and uh, Missy, I, I'm, I don't know if I'd ever be invited to speak at polishing the pulpit. I think I'm more than people can handle. I just don't think, I think if I spoke at polishing the pulpit, I would make so many people mad that it wouldn't be worth the headache and the hassle for Alan Webster and Eddie Gilpin and them to go through. I just don't think they would. I think I would, because I, I'm not going to cull anything. And if I speak, I'm uh, yeah, it's, uh, they, they wouldn't, they, they, a bunch of people would like it, but enough people would not like it that it wouldn't be worth the juice wouldn't be worth the squeeze, I guess is what I'm saying. But if you want to see me speak at Polishing the Pulpit, do a letter writing campaign. I'll go. Um, Tony, oh, it's a good question. Any correlation between the shoes of peace and Christ washing the disciples' feet? Look, I think that's one of those things in John chapter 6. Jesus teaches the bread of life discourse where he talks about, if you want eternal life, you've got to eat me and you got to drink me. Now that has absolutely no thing. Well, that's a funny way to emphasize nothing that has nothing to do with the Lord's supper. However, I'm of the, like hermeneutically that has nothing to do with the Lord's supper. There's no correlation there whatsoever. However, if you're an apostle and you've spent your three years with Jesus, you heard the bread of life discourse. And then when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper and he says, take, eat, this is my body, which was given for many. For uh, uh, Tony, how's he, how's he word it? Anyway, go read it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Then he says about the cup, this is the cup of the new covenant, the blood of the, which represents the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins and you drink it. I don't think as an apostle that spent three years with Jesus that heard his teachings every day that, that heard his teachings every day that, um, Heard the bread of life discourse in person. I don't think you take of the Lord's Supper ever without thinking of the bread of life discourse. Now, is there a correlation between the bread of life discourse and the Lord's Supper? No. There's no there's no hermeneutical connection whatsoever. But you can't think of it without, or you can't take of the Lord's Supper without thinking of it. At least I don't. Now, to answer your question, is there a correlation between uh, the the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and then the washing of the disciples' feet. I don't think that you can think about 
because this is not the only time that feet are mentioned that the, that the, um, in Romans chapter 10, let's check this out. Let's see. Bear with me. Romans 10. Got dead air on the podcast. All right. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written. So this is a, this is, and I'd have to go. I think it's in Isaiah. Um, Well, hold on. As it is written, where is it? I've lost it. Yeah, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Folks, I cannot think about preaching the gospel of peace, even though Romans 10 there doesn't directly apply to you and me. There is a general application, okay? So I cannot think about preaching the gospel of peace and being shod and having my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and having the beautiful feet of someone who who does the preaching without also thinking about the fact that I am a servant. I do not believe there's any direct hermeneutical correlation between the washing of the feet of the apostles by Jesus and the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But I do know that just like I cannot partake of the Lord's Supper without thinking of the bread of life discourse, I cannot think about my role as a minister preaching the gospel of peace without thinking of how Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and metaphorically washed my feet. I don't know if that answers your question well or not. I think the short answer is no. But the long answer is, how do you think about, how can you think about your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and not think about the servant attitude of our suffering Savior, Jesus the Christ? Oh, Cool. Scott says, excellent. Thank you. All right. Sheila Cole says, um, is it where they don't agree with the sermon or were the actual false teachers? I thought speakers were carefully chosen. It is a very loose definition of false teaching. Okay. So I, I believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is the prophetic outpouring of power that was prophesied the prophesied outpouring of power, rather, that was prophetically revealed and foreknowledged, for, for, for revealed, foretold. I'll get it out in a minute. Foretold. I finally got there. It was foretold in Joel chapter 2. I am, listen, if you believe differently, I love you with the love of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but I believe you're wrong. And I'm confident in my position. I'm convicted in my position. And just because I think you're wrong doesn't mean I think you're a false teacher. Now, here, one of us is a false teacher because one of us are teaching something that's not true because 
the, the, you can't hold two different interpretations and both be right. However, that's an issue of judgment. That's an issue of scruple. It's a matter of academic pursuit. There are people who, however, would draw a line of fellowship over something like that. For instance, if, if I believe that it's the prophesied outpouring of power that was foretold, revealed in Joel chapter 2, if you believe it's the Holy Spirit himself and it's the literal non-miraculous indwelling, we can still go to heaven. But there are some that take that as, well, you're a false teacher, so I've got to divide from you. So some of it, Sheila, is that. Others is nobody is, a, like for instance, they call out Steve Higginbotham. I wish I had the picture of the van that was rented that had, um, John, maybe you can remember this. Uh, whose pictures did it have? It had Steve Higginbotham and two others, and their pictures were on the van that was rented talking about, PTP at sinful.com or whatever, some website that you could go to. But anyway, uh, Steve Higginbotham, I don't think that, that anybody would say Steve Higginbotham is a false teacher, but Steve Higginbotham preached at a lectureship somewhere where a false teacher was. And because it wasn't Steve Higginbotham's assigned task, Steve Higginbotham did not deal with the subject that the false teacher was teaching falsely about. So therefore, they say, well, Steve Higginbotham is in fellowship with that false teacher, and that means that Steve Higginbotham is guilty of sin because he's not calling out the false teaching. And therefore, anybody that is in fellowship with Steve Higginbotham is also guilty of sin because of the transitive property. That's it. It was Melvin Ote, Steve Higginbotham, and... Was it Phil Sanders? I feel like Phil Sanders was on there as well. I could be wrong, but it could. I thought it was three, but anyway, it doesn't matter. None of those people look all three of those people. Even if I hated their guts, they're not false teachers. I, what do you do? You know, well, you put your breastplate of righteousness on and you keep pressing towards the mark and you don't care what these idiots on the sideline have to say. That's the utility of the breastplate of righteousness. Oof, I like it. Oh, Rusty Kirby says yes. All right, so it was Melvin Ote, Steve Higginbotham, and Phil Sanders. <laughs> yeah, Phil Sanders and Steve Higginbotham and Melvin Ote. False teachers, wicked people. Y'all be sure and tell them I said that about them. All right. Actually, don't because the internet's where nuance goes to die. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, let's talk about the shield of faith. Excellent. Y'all, if it weren't for y'all, this podcast would be terrible. Or maybe the podcast is terrible and it's y'all that's making it good. I don't know. Anyway, the shield of faith above all. Hold on a second. Oh, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Let me finish this thought. Okay, so you know how I talked about them hobnails, the cleats on the bottom of the Roman sandals, not the Roman candles, but the Roman sandals? If a Roman soldier was doing crowd control and somebody refused to move and they were kind of planted firm, 
Remember the footwear of the day, you had a sole and you had leather straps. So the top of your foot was naked except for a few leather straps. Now think about a Roman soldier with the force of a, a physically fit muscular individual, hardened muscles, stomping the top of your foot and bringing that Roman sandal with those hobnails down on the bridge of your foot, pinching the bridge of your foot between the cobblestone street or the hard packed ground and that hard Roman sandal with the hobnail cleats. You're going to move your foot and you're going to be pushed off balance where he can control you. Folks, the gospel of peace disarms people. It You can use the gospel of peace to bring it down on somebody's foundation and move them to where they need to be. That is an interesting metaphor. I said something and Sue Ross said, amen. I appreciate that, Sue Ross. All right. So we've talked about, let's see, we got this, we got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now let's talk about the shield of faith above all taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield provides extensive protection and could extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. Faith acts such as a shield. Our faith, the actions we take based on what we believe, offer or act rather as a shield, a defense offering a defense against the varied attacks of the adversary. Doubt, fear, despair lose their power when met with faith. And I'm defining faith as action you take based on what you believe. It is the firm trust in God and his promises that not only defends us, but also empowers the believer to move forward. Let me give you an illustration. Little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, he's as an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And hereby do we know that we know him. Folks, that's fellowship. Do you ever feel like you're not in fellowship with God? You do? Good. Welcome to the human condition. You need to raise your shield and start walking forward because doubt and discouragement and despair and fear are the fiery darts that the enemy is launching at you, and you have to raise your shield and walk forward. Well, what does that mean? Hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If you ever feel like you're not saved, Get up and do it anyway. That's the shield of faith. Now, we are never promised to always feel saved, but we are absolutely promised that we can know that we're saved. And we have to, we have to act out that knowledge. And when we act out that knowledge, that shield of faith, that, that action is a defense against fear, despair, doubt. And eventually, 
and 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 quite frankly, very quickly, your feelings will change to align with your actions. Folks, that's how the shield of faith works. Go forward, do the commands. That's the shield of faith. And I'm holding up my right hand. I'm left-handed, so I would hold up my shield with my left hand because I need something in this hand. But before we talk about the something in this hand, let's talk about the helmet of salvation. Whenever I was in school, we had one of the teachers say, there's a whole lot of Christian streakers. They're running around in nothing but a helmet of salvation. They haven't taken, they haven't girded themselves about with truth. They don't have a shield of faith. They don't have a breastplate of righteousness. They don't have their feet shod. They've obeyed the gospel and they come to church and that's it. Don't be a Christian streaker. Don't just run around with your helmet on. So verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet, of course, protects the head, the seat of thought, the mind. The Greek word for mind is psyche, and that word translates soul. When the soul is under consideration, the Greek word psyche is used, folks. In fact, let me let me back that up with Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your whole spirit, your soul, your body, what you say, what you do, and your will, your soul, your psyche. Folks, without the helmet of salvation, our psyche is not protected. The evil one has us. The assurance of salvation is crucial for mental and emotional security. It fends off the existential doubts and fears of one's relationship with God and destiny. Salvation received by grace through faith forms an impregnable defense against spiritual discouragement and despair. A helmet of salvation should be mandatory before we view social media. You got that right. And y'all know, if y'all listen to me for any length of time at all, you know how much I'm on the internet, you know how much I'm on Facebook and YouTube and all that. I still believe it's a net negative for the church. And, and, and I think the, and the, only, the only recourse is we need more people on it, influencing it for the better. But it's still a net negative. I, I really feel like it is. All right. So the helmet of salvation. There's not a whole lot of commentary that needs to be had here. Just don't run around with nothing but a helmet on. Now let's get into the sword of the spirit. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. The sword was the offensive weapon in the soldier's arsenal. The word of God is the spirit sword used by the believer, wielded in both defense 
and proclamation. Now notice, I said it's the Spirit's sword used by the believer. I remember in class one day, this is not the same, this is a different copy, but I had, I had, a, I had a New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs. And um, during break, I was going to look at my memory verses and polish up my memory verses in school. And I walked out the door of the classroom and I turned around on my heel and I was like, oops, I forgot my sword. To which one of the old gruff teachers there said, huh, it's not your sword. It's the spirit sword. I'm like, it's the old man. He don't know what he's talking about. Well, it turns out he did. Kind of funny how that works out. It is the spirit sword. We just use it. But it is the spirits. He owns it. It's his. Um, he forged it. He He's responsible for it. And he allows us to use it. Well, he allows us. And he commissions. Uh, Jesus commissioned us to use it. Anyway. Um, so the word of God is the spirit's sword used by the believer wielded in both defense and proclamation. It is the truth of scripture that cuts through the deception, convicts hearts and brings the reality of God's kingdom into the lives of men and women. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 affirms its penetrating power, dividing the soul and spirit and discerning the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Folks. Without the sword of the spirit, we are like wolves with no claws and no teeth. We're like soldiers running around with no weapon. We're useless. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What is it that we study? What is it that equips us? It's the scriptures, folks. It's the sword of the spirit. Now, do you just give a sword to any old farmer off the field and say, okay, go out there and wage war? God forbid you have to use that sword responsibly because if you don't use that sword responsibly, you can hurt yourself and others. Paul, excuse me, Peter, wrote about Paul's writings that are hard to understand and uneducated men twist to their own demise. Folks, if we don't practice our sword play, we can harm ourselves and others. If you're not an elder, this, this verse, well, let me just, let me, let me give the context of that. There are two verses in scripture that outline or elucidate, I suppose would be a better word, the role of a gospel preacher or an evangelist and the role of elders. Uh, 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 Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed unto thyself and unto the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's the elder's job. But what about the evangelist's job? That's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. And it goes, it effectively says this. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them and you'll save both yourself and those that hear you. If we do not take heed to the doctrine, 
we will cause ourselves and others to be damned because we will be using the sword of the Spirit wrongly. Think about Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. As the rains and the snows fall from heaven and they give bread to the sower or, or, or bread to the eater and seed to the sower and they do not return back to the heaven without accomplishing the purpose for which they were sent, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It's not going to return unto me void, but it will accomplish that thing for which it is sent. Folks, if we use the sword of the Spirit wrongly, we are emasculating, rendering impotent the very power of God unto salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Folks, it is very important that we use our sword correctly, and we, we train with that sword. Someone referenced Mark 5, 1 through 15 from the Bible. They will be talking about mental health conditions this weekend. Don't understand why this passage is being used to discuss mental health. Well, I don't know either. Let me go look at that. Mark 5, 1, 15, 1 through 15. Mark 5, 1 through 15. And they came over into the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when there was come out the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. Yeah, I don't know why they'd be using that to talk about mental health. This man was possessed by a demon. Do they think that people that suffer mental health issues are possessed by demons? That's weird. Terry, I don't know what to tell you on that one. I wish I had a I wish I had a, I wish I had better words, but I don't. Um and and let me tell you something. My my wife is a mental health professional and some of the things Mental health awareness needs to be focused on more and destigmatized. I know a lot of times whenever, uh, like, well, you know, somebody's depressed, well, they just don't have enough faith in God. You know what? That may be correct, but that's a symptom of their depression. We got to help these people. I don't know. Anyway, I'm 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 done with that. But yeah, I don't know why somebody would use Mark 5, 1 through 15. All right, the whole armor of God. So far, we are in the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet uh, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. In essence, the full armor of God provides a comprehensive approach to spiritual warfare and daily living. It's not merely a defense mechanism. It's a call to action. The believer clothed in this divine armor is equipped not only to stand against the forces that oppose the knowledge of God. Excuse me. The, 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 the believer clothed in the divine armor is equipped not only to stand, but to advance against the forces that oppose the knowledge of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. As followers of Christ, it is paramount to put on this armor daily. We wear this daily. It, it, 
really and truly it should never come off, but I don't know. I don't know how far you should take the metaphor of the soldier. I know that, that during times of war, the Roman soldiers did not remove their armor. Uh, and, and in fact, that's not the only ancient, uh, warriors that did that during a time of war. Now, don't get me wrong. Like when the battle was over, they would bathe and, 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 and wash and, and, um, take care of their armor and stuff like that. But, like let's say there was a battle you didn't you didn't you didn't go to your barracks and and put your armor off and then go to sleep and then get up and put it on you slip in your armor anyway i'm done with that i think that's taking the metaphor too far as followers of christ it is paramount to put on this armor daily engaging in the battle set before us with courage and with the assurance of victory for it is not by might nor by power but by the power of the word of God that the kingdom advances and believers stand in triumph. Through this exploration of the whole, whole armor of God, may believers be inspired to rise up to the full stature of their calling, prepared and equipped for every good work. Let the words of the Ephesians serve, well, let the words of the Ephesians let the word of, uh, that's a terrible typo I've got to fix. Let the words of the Ephesians serve as a constant reminder to be vigilant, vigilant and armored for the day of redemption draws. Um, oh, I know why I wrote that that way. I think I'm going to edit that to say the words of the Apostle Paul because let the words of the Ephesians as I read it out loud, it sounds like I'm talking about the Ephesian people, like the people in Ephesus, but it's Paul. The book of Ephesians is what I meant when I wrote it, dummy. All right. Hello, Brian Allen. Good to see you. Thanks for joining in. Now, I hope that in this hour-long podcast talking about the whole armor of God, I've said something to inspire you, to motivate you. You don't have to walk around like you're defeated all the time. Notice how soldiers are. Notice how, um, notice how, uh, notice how military men are. They walk with an air of confidence. Christian, you wear armor too. Walk with that same confidence. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We are more than conquerors. The only enemy that can harm us has been defeated by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to walk around like, not arrogant, but with the calm assurance of a person who is in a right relationship with God, living commensurate with the truth. We ought not walk around with our shoulders slouched and our head hung low. I read the article to my boys this morning. They really liked it. Substack is such a cool tool. Thank you for all the articles you put out. Well, Philip S. Carmen, thank you so much for that. And I really appreciate that uh, you read that to your boys. That's, that's just, man, it's humbling. You don't know. I am loathe to share all of the feedback that I get because it seems braggadocious to me. I did share it in the past 
and I shared about how we were growing and about this and the other. And I think it come across braggadocious. And so now I, I don't share anything about the growth and the people in the, that, that private message me and say, Hey, you know, your article or your podcast or whatever. And it helped me so greatly. Just, just understand that I don't take it for granted. I, I don't think on this side of eternity that I can know how much good is being done by the efforts of Aaron Dotson and Tony Brewer on the Christianity Now platform. I just don't think I can. And and I wish, honestly, Aaron listens to my podcast. I hope he's listening to this. I wish Aaron could understand that. I I, I just wonder if he actually does or if he if he's if, I wonder if he understands even with our small area of influence exactly how much good is being done and the only thing that's going to happen is that's going to scale up in the future and that's why we always offer you avenues to support us monetarily you know i mean because let's face it i suppose we could I could turn around and I could set my iPhone on a bookshelf and talk into my iPhone, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't garner the same. It would, it wouldn't be the same as having a microphone, a good audio interface, good sound equipment. It wouldn't be the same, you know? And, and again, I, I don't do well with this. So I guess the only thing I can say is thank you. We really appreciate it and we don't take it for granted and we consider it a heavy burden that we joyously bear that we are influencing people's lives. Boy, that's something that's crazy to think of. Anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hush. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Um, there are eight people watching on Christianity now streams on YouTube. Please make sure you're subscribed and make sure that you have the notification bell hit. Sheila Coe, I tend to agree with you. If only one soul is brought to Christ, it's 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 of priceless worth. Um so we have uh two people watching on my personal profile, and we got four people watching on Christianity now. Just wherever you like to watch, please be sure that you're following that platform and for all eight of you that are watching on youtube do me a favor share copy the link and paste it onto your uh paste it onto your timeline that would be awesome and give it a thumbs up uh all that good stuff and uh folks that's all i've got listen put on the whole armor of god and walk confidently through this world God has set you up for success. In fact, hell, the final destination for those human beings who are wicked, God didn't create hell for them. He created hell for the angels that rebelled. Hell is an afterthought for humans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Hell doesn't exist for us even. God didn't even take our failure into consideration when he created the cosmos. He had to repurpose something for the people who fail. I'm going to speak another hour on that if I don't stop. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Remember, 
Go to the show notes, Patreon, buy me a coffee. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Subscribe $5 a month on Substack. That's all we've got. God bless you. Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Get you the, the, the audio archive and, and, and check us out on Rumble. These are archived on Rumble. It's just not too quick. So anyway, that's all we've got here. God bless you. This has been Tony Birth Cogitations, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Good comment, Terry Crooks there, Dan. I'm going to read it and, and be done. Christians are called to emulate the life and conduct of Jesus Christ. To achieve this, we must purge our mind of carnal thoughts. God bless you, and we'll catch you later.